I would say the reason why it's important is because over 98% of people are aware of voice and conversational AI. 97% of them are using their assistants at some point or another. And then when we look down at the numbers of the people who use voice assistants, 92% of them are doing some sort of search where they're asking questions. Welcome to the AI for Creative Entrepreneurs podcast. I'm Kira Hug, co-founder of the Copywriter Club. And on this show, our goal is to help you stay ahead of the curve. We'll show you how to use AI to maximize your creativity, simplify your work and life, and reinvent your creative career so AI works for you, not against you. Join us as we explore the intersection of AI, creativity, and career. When ChatGPT launched nearly a year ago, it was the first time many of us really interacted with generative AI. But conversation-based AI has been around a lot longer than that. And there are a lot of great communicators and experts working in this area right now. Today's guest, Susan Westwater, joins us to explore the transactional, informational, and social use cases for chatbots and AI assistants including the job roles in conversational AI that could be suitable for copywriters and creatives like us. You might be blown away with Susan's expertise like I was as she guides us through the different ways conversational AI is impacting the work we do. But before we jump into that interview, this podcast is sponsored by AI for Copywriters and Creatives, the course that's helped more than 200 copywriters, content writers, and other creatives learn how to use AI as a creative partner in their businesses. When you jump into this course, you can access five in-depth modules that will help you understand generative AI and ChatGPT, including 10 things you need to know before you write a prompt and a list of over 100 of the best writing tools that work well for creatives like us. If you want to check it out, you can get started with this course by going to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash AI for C. Okay, let's kick off our episode with Susan. Okay, Susan, so let's just start off with like, what the heck is conversational AI? Yeah, absolutely. So um, conversational AI is a part of AI and it works with, can either work with large language models or other pieces, but it essentially is the technology that allows us to converse with computers. And that could be using our voice or that could be a chat bot or that could even be something you do on your phone, but it's where there's that back and forth and exchange that's a lot more natural, but also then works on natural language processing. So it isn't about me figuring out the secret words <laughs> that will trigger a command, but is more of that technology of making it possible to understand when I use plain language, what does that mean? Can, and can you dive into that and the differences between the two? Yeah, absolutely. So like command controller, when you even think about when you're using your computer, it's um, basically putting that in there of if then statements or very strict things of um, turn on the heat. But maybe I don't say turn on the heat. Maybe I just say I'm I'm cold. So it's a matter of understanding those inferences um, and also understanding sort of that longer natural phrasing that we use. So if you think about back way back when, when Google was new, it was the Boolean search of I am looking for red and Corvette and near and, at, you know, and, and or putting things in quotes. It was very unnatural. 
Yeah. But it's more of using things in your your natural dialogue. Okay. Is it bad that I still put things in quotes? <laughs> no, no, no. It's just advanced user, right? right. So yeah. over time, these things have learned. And yeah. it's your way of saying, no, it's this whole phrase, not parsing it all apart. But that's difficult and unnatural. But quotes is a different thing of what happens in between the quotes is a whole other story. I feel like it's a control issue. It makes me feel better. Yeah, um, no, exactly. And most of our listeners are experimenting with some of the, like, the tools like ChatGPT. So they're feeling more and more comfortable with that. But can you explain the differences and how you would use that? Just thinking about language, just purely mm-hmm. based on language that we may have to kind of spell it out differently than you would when you're thinking about voice. Yeah, absolutely. So again, it comes down to ontology. And so if I'm using any of those large language models, the first thing I caution is it's so tempting to just acquiesce and say, you answer that for me. But you know, you're talking about being a control freak. Yeah, I'm a control freak too. I want to make sure that I have at least some parameters. So that's where we use select data sets or we go down those paths. Sometimes it makes sense, especially in highly regulated industries where it's the legal team is like, you can only say these things that then we work in it in in a phrase um, of actually scripting out the exact statements. Um, We don't want to live there forever because it's not the most efficient way to live. But Mm -hmm. if you think about the idea um, in UX, we talk about the happy path of where someone goes from linear, basically from awareness to consideration to purchase. And it's all one big line and it's amazing. We all know reality is that no, that's not how people work. Um, And so we spend a lot of time helping coach people towards those things. So it's more of taking a guiding approach. Um, When I'm thinking about the copy I'm writing, it's about speaking to someone in their terms. So we large language models are helpful because it gives us a leg up of, hey, if this is someone who's in Southeastern US as opposed to Pacific Northwest, like we in within this country, we don't even say soda or pop or Coke. Like you could be ordering the same beverage and there's so many different ways. Large language models are really helpful in helping us get at that regional colloquialisms, slang and, and those pieces. So that way, then even the pronunciations come through as well. Um, there was a time when we were working with language where um, there's actually a Preston. So talks about working with the Georgia DMV. And they could not figure out why they could not get a match to something that said law, L-A-W-S-E-N-S-E. Now, they had accounted for Southern drawls and accents, but they hadn't accounted for that particular drawl. That person was trying to figure out how to get their driver's license. But his drawl was so powerful that it was basically being picked up as law sense instead of license. Wow. So those are like the little nuances when we get conversational. Now, no one's going to type that, but in voice, obviously that's going to come through. We work a lot with linguists, but now in some ways we can now work with other, like with these large language models to help guide us a little bit better so that then we aren't spending as much time tuning. Um, we still have to tune. It's just a matter of doing it more efficiently and smarter. I think the one thing to know and and at Macon where we met, it's not about machines replacing us, it's machines helping us do some of that nitty gritty work that isn't always our favorite. I mean, no no shade to linguists or anyone else who, who gets into that, but there are other things that we can be doing with our time that is requires human creative craft. So it's using these tools in that way. It helps you with personas. It helps you with being able to also understand um, sentence structure or customer centricity of 
what is the problem that this audience or persona has? And then how can I structure that they see themselves so that they keep reading? Um, Because I think this is definitely, I'm, I'm a big content person by trade. And nothing makes me roll my eyes harder than when someone's like, well, you know, no one reads anything. And it's just like, (laughs) no one reads crap. Okay. (laughs) But people read things that they see themselves in. So there are ways that we can use these large language models like ChatGPT, like BARD to help us understand what's important, what's table stakes and can help us even with like the hierarchy of what we're crafting um, so that we can get to the good stuff. But we also are making sure that we're not ignoring what's required reading or you need to at least say, hey, we do these things or this is part of the requirements for you to even consider my brand or, or, or those types of things. Yeah. And if you're wearing your your copywriter or content writer hat, um, how would you approach just using AI tools in general when so that we can keep that creative side and yeah. not feel like it's replacing us. Like, how would you approach that in your day-to-day as a as a writer? I'll be honest. Like, I use Readable a ton of helping make sure that um, I start with a lot of things that I create myself. And then it's, how do I refine this? How do I make sure that this is always at a third grade reading level? Um, I mean, the term conversational AI in itself is already a red flag on some of the, the reading matrices, right? Of uh, That's too many syllables. How do you simplify it's really helpful in helping me get to that and help me refine what I'm saying or helping me break apart thoughts. I use a lot of it from an editing standpoint um, and also organizational. Um, I will admit that I will take recordings of presentations and then play it back and then ask these tools, hey, summarize this into a blog for me to help me take my work and then turn that into another format. It's really helpful in that sense of giving that type of direction. You can almost think of it as like a junior copywriter assistant that you can say, this is what I'm starting with. Help me break this into five different social posts or help me put together a LinkedIn series based off of this particular presentation, this particular concept and going from there. But a lot of times um, I like to start with what I have because I'm just, um, I don't have all of my style programmed within it, but that's even something we've even been talking about in the conversational AI space as we talk about uh, system persona, which is the derivative of your brand persona. What does it sound like when it starts talking back? And that could be in written or that could actually be spoken. Um, and there's whole areas of like, it's really fun. Like what happens when voice and tone become actual real things and not voice and tone, but there's the voice, there's the tone. How do I, um, how do I help prompt these tools so that the brand guidelines that I'm giving to a copywriter or I'm giving to a team are just as effective? Like what are the prompts I need to do up front? That takes creative copywriting thinking because we're the ones that get that information, right? We're the ones that process it. So who better to understand, here's how I'm going to set that up. So that way then I can focus on the the task at hand of I need to be writing about X and Y as opposed to um, having to worry as much about word choice and all those things. We, it, it helps speed up editorial it, more than anything. And that's how I use them. I know there are others who even use them even further, but those are some of the areas. I also use them to also say, how would someone describe this or that? And it helps me also get to a clarity point of, especially if I'm doing something where it's like, I need to define the challenge. How are they talking about it? As opposed to how am I as a brand introvertedly talking towards someone? I can start to use the words that make my audience feel like I'm talking with them 
or that I have more empathy than ever. It's really also helpful with multicultural um, and making sure that you're using those right signals. But again, these are guides. These are not go ahead, plug and play. It always is going to take some human crafting because that's what makes it good is that we do add that human element. Yeah, it sounds like there are a lot of new job opportunities for writers, which I definitely yeah. want to get to. But I, I kind of want to back up and just ask, like, how did you how did you get into this field? What is your background with AI or just your background in general? So the the funny thing is, is um so back when I was in, at college, I was my junior year, I thought for sure I was going to be the greatest PR writer ever. Like I was going to do all this creative writing and authorship and I was going to be this journalist and it's going to be great. I even was editor of, um, of like our, our university newspaper. I then got into promotional marketing and that I actually had this huge respect for the copywriting teams I was working with. They were definitely lauded and it was um, a copywriting team that had won quite a bit at a large agency and it created their own. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie, I was intimidated. And so in my brain, I went down more of the strategic path because when you see someone who can write five really cool headlines about hot cocoa mix and not a single one of them is like <laughs> lame and embarrassing, I just kind of sat there and said, okay, I can write stories. I can write plays. This is like a whole nother level. So I moved into strategy and uh, client management and that type of piece, um, working more heavily on brand strategy and planning out those things and then working on giving the creative team the best brief I could possibly get, giving them the best information so that we could create things. Now, later in my career, I ended up getting sucked right back into copywriting um, as it was like, well, you understand it. Well, here, show us how to write it. And I learned about direct marketing, direct mail and content strategy. And then that was then where it was sort of like, it was my parents laugh. They're like, oh my gosh, you're actually using your degree. <laughs> um, uh, because I do have a, a very liberal arts degree. And part of why I do now work in AI though, is because I started working on the web way back when. I shouldn't even age myself, but it was brand new. I actually have done non-electric stats and prints and things like that. Um, but taking that and realizing that this is a whole new way, saw that with social, saw it with mobile. And my husband and I were both like, okay, how many times do we have to see this cycle and end up not being the ones who are helping shape it? So we both, um, he's more from a design and visual user experience. I'm more from the content side. So we worked together to get into what initially was voice, which is a flavor of AI, but at the time we weren't calling it that. And then just diving deeper into how do we make these things work where they make sense, but also how do we make sure that they're doing things responsibly? Um, because there's a lot of things that we didn't know when we were developing, say, forms in the web world. That beginning was like, oh, isn't this cool? If you create a form and someone will fill it out. We didn't later, you know, we look back and go, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Those were dark patterns or those, you know, were, were misleading. Um, and it wasn't intentional, but that was where we're like, we're smarter now. Let's think about how we can use these tools for good and to make work better, not more. Because I think that's been the biggest thing. I mean, that's my content flag. I will always weigh it is, you know, it isn't always more, it's better or more refined. And these are obviously amazing tools that can help with that. Um, but it can also make sure that we know we're talking to the right people, that we're doing the right things. And that way, then it's that whole belief in the right message to the right person at the right time. 
these are just, that's what has pulled us into that further and further. And where are things uh, today, and more of a state of the union on where voice AI and conversational sure. AI exists? I mean, to me, I heard your presentation and was like, this is amazing. I haven't heard anyone talk about it before. But I'm sure there are many people talking about it and it's grown dramatically. It has. It has. I will laugh and say, so some of the earliest um, voice assistants that people know of, like Dom, those predate Alexa. I mean, when you say voice, people are like, oh, Alexa. But that's kind of like, that's a few years after Alexa wasn't out into the, the mass world until 2017. What was awesome about it, though, is from a penetration standpoint, there's 90 million of these devices. It's a really amazing way to be able to get at and have an actual conversation with your audience. Where uh, the state of union is, is I, and I've actually dropped it because the world has changed. I used to go with like, basically the robot from Lost in Space to like Rosie from the Jetsons. Um, and then we, on the other side, we have like Hal and Jarvis, right? Um, and we, we don't ever, ever, let me just say this right now. If you have an assistant, never call it Jarvis, never call it Hal. Way too much like expectations and be just way too much ter emotional territory with those. <laughs> um, but we're kind of in this really interesting world where um, between Rosie and Jarvis, there's kind of like C-3PO. It's It'll feel sentient, but it isn't always. Mm -hmm. um, so we're between those. We're, we're, we're about there these days. Um, sometimes it'll seem like it does because it's really good at, and I think um, Ethan Mullick, uh, Professor Ethan Mullick at Macon talked about, it's a game. Like if you um, are old enough to think about the movie War Games and how the computer system wasn't necessarily doing anything from an intent of evil. It was an intent to win. Like, oh, this is a game. I can do this. <laughs> I can do these tasks. Yeah. It'll go too far because the boundaries aren't there because machines aren't built with ethics. We have to put that in. We have to program that in. Those are like, that's where we live today is that world of understanding of the game planes get really advanced, but, and it's really easy to think it's sentient, um, but it isn't necessarily. We still have a little bit of control and being able to do that, but that's also because we're getting smart enough to know we always need to be able to pull the plug. We always need to have a back door. Um, it's, those are the important things just because of when you put something out in the ether, you have to be able to take it down. And what happens when, when you do that, we've always lived with that in digital. It's even more so when we start playing with assistants, but yeah, um, conversational AI is definitely getting a lot. What's exciting is we've been working in a lot of flows, user flows, scripting, like script writing. I can tell you right now that the Alexa team has more script writers and creative types than they do engineers. I mean, they do have yeah. engineers involved. Don't, don't I, I kid you not. But when it comes to the crafting of that persona, the crafting of the personality and the would Alexa say this or would Alexa say that, there's a creative mind behind it. It isn't necessarily a, these are our hard guidelines. Um, there is an understanding of the spirit and that gets more developed every day. Um, but just know that like from that perspective as well, uh, the state of our world is we're starting to get a lot more sophisticated about how we bring these characters to life. So again, if you're really good at doing script writing, if you've written a novel or two, or you're very good at that, um, you actually have an ability to be able to take that craft because you've learned how to inject a personality. You've learned how to even work. If you've done um, any type of commercial or radio scripting for a brand, you've learned how to like talk about a brand without it getting in the way. And that's like the most important part of conversational AI 
because it does have this aspect of utility, but it also has to have this aspect of brand. And that's a hard balance, which takes craft. And you can't say, give me 70% of this or not. Like it's very much the it depends. And that's where our humanity and the crafting of a copywriter comes in. Wow. Okay. So many questions for you. Sure. Let's go to the game part. Do yeah. you think do you think that we're gonna know when we've left the game stage and we're in the next stage and it's sentient and like will we feel it? <laughs> I think I think we'll have ideas because I think there's enough people paying attention. Yep. Um, again, I've had more than three sleepless nights. Um, I think that was the measurement of how many sleepless nights you've had. (laughs) I've had more than three and I'm sure I have more than three in my future of how do we think through that? Um, I mentioned, I, uh, work with the open voice network and we work on voice assistants worthy of user trust. And that's a big hefty statement. Um, we have teams that are working on privacy and security. We have teams working on ethics. Um, there's whole work groups and, and groups in that. They are all, we all have an eye on it. And we've even like this month, we'll be releasing a, um, basically a course, a self-moderated course and a self-eval of here's how do you even think about ethics and how we're using those ethics because we're, I want to say, I, I don't want to say, I, we are smarter this time around about the consequences of all of the digital footprints we leave, of all of the ways that we're using technology. We're able to then look at that and say, what are these guardrails? But I, and I think we will know. Um, how, how soon everyone knows is a whole other story. But I think that there will be, there are some smart folks that are thinking about what do we do about that? And then how do we continue to stay a little bit one step ahead? Because I I do think there will be a time where I think it is, as um, again, Professor Molik was talking about, was this idea of we're trying to make machines as good as humans. What happens when they decide to optimize because I could be 125% better? Like, wait a minute, when when does that start to happen? So I think it's a matter of just being thoughtful and thinking through it. We've seen some misfires. I think we'll continue to see misfires, but those are the important mistakes we have to make so that we can figure out how to correct them. Um, I think if we stay too perfect, we won't understand that. So I think that's the hope and excitement that I actually, the energy I felt from the Marketing AI Institute conference was definitely that idea of it's not perfect, but we have an opportunity to shape it. We can either make it Skynet or not. If we're smart about it, we can avoid that. And I think when we have not-for-profit groups that are working outside of big tech, that helps us push that way. Yeah, I mean, that's what inspires me to even have these conversations or get involved. Yeah. It's just like, okay, well, we can we can shape this. And I want more people like you who have ethics and, and are thoughtful, intentional. Like, And so many copywriters are people with a lot of empathy who should yeah. be involved in this conversation. Absolutely. And I mean, if you have any interest, look, check out the Open Voice Network. Um, you can just look it up online. It'll show up underneath that. They're always welcoming folks to come in and join. Um, because we, it's, it was a grassroots group that started in a diner. The next time I got involved was borrowed space at an incubator. And then now it's become what it is where it has become part um, a funded, a directed fund of the Linux Foundation. But in general, um, there's it's always growing. There's always room. And there's always, it seems, work to be done. Um, <laughs> it's just, and, and it's fun though, because at least I have chill, I have a kid. I want to make sure that the, you know, there's a lot I don't have control of. This is something I do. So I can at least 
try to guide, help guide the ship. It's going to take everyone to do it though. Okay. So I just need to join that network and become a member. Yeah. You can become a contributor um, on their website. They actually have a lot of information. There's a form you can fill out of, Hey, this is the group I'm interested in being a part of um, and, and being able to, to attend that. Um, what we find often is it's just, there's the paralysis of, well, what can I do about it? Yep. So trying to help with that. Yeah, no, this is great. Um, okay. I'll check that out. And sure. just to kind of steer back to conversational AI, could you talk about and maybe share some use cases that are, um, from past clients or current clients, mm -hmm. whatever you can share to really paint the picture of what's possible? Sure. I mean, we all have dealt with a chatbot, right? And they don't have to suck. I mean, they, the part of it is, is we've been working so hard on the technology side of things of making sure that it works well. We haven't thought about, again, that front end creative craft. I like to think of, well, we think about front end of website and back end. We very much live in that world when it comes to conversational AI. There's the back, back end, backside engine with my tags and all of my things. But then there's also the, how am I delivering this? What is my tonality? So what we look at with some of the chatbots is a matter of wayfinding. Um, if you have a ton of information um, and people just want to get to things, it's a way of pulling someone through. Um, it's also, um, you can use, and, and this is the thing too with conversational AI, it can live on your website, it can live on your smartphone, in a, it can be in a mobile app, it can even live on um, uh, basically one of the smart speakers. Um, but what it comes down to is things that we've used it for is education, um, in healthcare, it works really well with disease education. Um, in the restaurant industry, it's also helpful of finding out important information about hours of operation, menu, um, all of those types of interactions that it's just easier to ask. Uh, one example and a couple examples I've shared um, in, in the presentation that you got to see is, um, so Starbucks made it so that it just makes it easier for you to reorder or order your drink. Super simple. Um, there's Domino's, which has figured out 12, 13, 14 ways to order a pizza. They all work that way of, of ordering, but you can also do it where you're answering important questions. Um, you're helping someone troubleshoot. Uh, there's a couple of appliance manufacturers I know of who have used it in a way of helping someone if, because when nothing ever breaks when it's convenient, right? And the last thing you want to do is be holding on the line while you're trying to do it. So it's how do I, how do I assist someone to navigate to see, is it really that big of a deal and you need to order a new part or is it something that you can remedy yourself? So it's a little bit of self-service, but not self-service to replace. It's more of self-service to be more accessible or something along those lines. But it's um, other ways of using it is, and, and this is always really funny, is literally frequently asked questions. So what are those questions that they, that keep getting called in? This isn't that elephant's graveyard that gets put on websites where it's like, oh, I don't know where this fits. Just throw it over there and hopefully someone will, the person who needs it will find it. It's more of what are those things that keep getting asked about or what are those needs and tasks that someone needs support with that doesn't necessarily require a human, but it requires some sort of feedback or conversation or dialogue. Those are ways that we are able to use conversational AI in a really helpful way. And it's an interesting, like some of those things can even be um, recipes, step-by-step -step recipes, cooking, guiding and tips. There's lots of ways that you're able to, and you can even use it in a back-end way of help me just ask because I want to see this report or 
what is my store performance? Um, I know Salesforce has been working a lot on that type of CRM data. Hey, how many people have been through the door today? Just making it easier for someone to be able to ask the question and get an answer. And that's where that comes into play very much so. Yeah. And I feel like there are three different pathways that are probably relevant to this audience. One is a small business owner like myself, and I have courses and community memberships. So what would be one way I could think about integrating this into my business at that level? It could be everything from, is your course open? Where do I get signed up? Um, What courses do you offer? Or what supplemental information you can give me? We actually worked with a, a B2B client who does sonic branding. A lot of the challenges are, especially as you can imagine, um, I think sonic branding actually has more traction these days than conversational AI, but it was education of what is it? What are examples? And we were able to actually literally create ones that actually worked and gave that information. We've also created versions of this where it's able to give customer support or student support of, hey, what time is my class or what, what, what's my next lesson supposed to be? There's lots of ways that you're able to just, again, be assistive um, and be able to give that assistance. There are um, basically there's three different types of interactions that a lot of times we see in conversational. There's the transactional, which is the get this thing done, A to B to C, can I purchase it? Can I order it? Then there's informational, which is what color does it come in? Where can I get it? Answering those types of questions. And then there's finally social. Social, I think we see more so in the the, the realms of Clubhouse, which still is quite alive and well, of that idea of the, the dialogue and conversation back and forth of I'm here to hang out. I'm here to learn things. Um, Twitter spaces is another great example or X space. But those are, those are all the different ways where conversational AI can come and play. One other way the conversational AI comes into play is voice search. And we all know about SEO and as copywriters, we get challenged so much of like, is this keyword or is this, it's more about keyword phrases and it's being able to answer the questions that your audience is asking and, and then showing up for them. So you start with the base of good SEO and then you go down the path of, well, what are the important keyword phrases? So I don't need necessarily want to own car. Like for my earlier example, I want to be able to own red Corvette dealership near me. And if that quite, then I wouldn't even think of it that way. You'd think of it as where's the nearest Corvette dealership near me. Okay. That's the question I want to answer. Then making sure that my featured snippets are set up, that I have Google My Business set up, but also that my language is in a way that's going to answer that so that easily Google can say, there's my answer. All right. Then it's pushing it there. So that's where that comes into play. And then we also look at the conversations that are being had around that. So is it the Corvette Owners Club? Is it the best way to take care of my Corvette? All of that content needs to be written and in a conversational way. And that doesn't mean just putting question marks at the end of sentences, but more of that um, distinct, hey, this is, a, uh, this is a section. I've got that marked. That can answer that question. Um, so it is that working with the technical, but also the content side of it very heavily of making sure the content's there, because if it's not there, then you don't even need to bother with the technical. So it's making sure that we're covering off of that as, again, as copywriters, it's how do I do that in an elegant way that makes sense to a reader, but also makes sense to those computers and those things. Because people don't know that they're voice searching. They just simply ask their phone a question or they ask Siri or Google Assistant, where's this? What's that? 
And so it's a matter of just making sure that your content is available for that. And that's that's going to be in demand because not everyone can do that craft. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of job opportunities, this could be a really great opportunity for writers and creatives to jump in and do this for their clients or, you know, start yeah. a, a studio where like this is all that they do. What would that look like if you'd like break it down? They need to partner with someone on the technical side. Do you think that's something they could take on? I think so. I think it's a matter of if you have, um, you know, we, how many times are there folks out there who are really, really good at writing paid search ads? How do I flip that on its head? Because right now, when it comes to mobile devices, especially the smart speakers, there isn't a promoted post yet. Uh, so we have some landscape to, to play with organically. Um, but it is working with your SEO professional who can give you the reports of these are the topic areas that are coming up or our competitors are ranking here. We have an opportunity to own this if we write that creative and, and that copy. So I think it's a matter of working together for an evaluation of how can you get seen the most and how are you delivering against the queries that relate. So it's direct. Um, and, and, and also, I would say what's also an important part of it is we're going to live in the world of call brands, right? When we think about when you go to the club and you just say, give me a rum and coke, you're going to get anything. And that's what's going to happen. But if I say, give me a Bacardi and Coke, I'm going to get what I need. So it's training folks to start asking for your brands. And then when it comes to unbranded, making sure that you're starting to already put down that type of, of good content, which is going to need a copywriter's help. So it is partnering with those SEO folks to be able to say, how can we write this better? How can I partner with you to do that for our client? Um, or can you give me the report of the adjacent conversations that are happening? What are related keywords? What are related keyword phrases that are coming up? Um, another example is there was a pasta brand I was working with and they were looking at um, a voice search. Well, it came down to not just the chefs that they work with who use their products, but it also came down to the recipes and even cooking styles. And so you start to be able to pull that through. And that again, that's where that whole um, eat prospect of from Google comes into play. But again, someone has to be able to do that in a way that makes sense. And it's not just like I'm filling in word holes. It's actually a meaningful piece of content. And what would that end up looking like? Is it a, a guide? Is it more like a messaging guide with um, the avatars and then all the phrases and questions? Like what would the deliverable be for something like that? I think there's, there can come two ways. One can be guidelines, and these are the areas to play with. Then I think the next piece of that is now let's start delivering on it and being able to actually write the pieces that need to go to support that work. So I think you start with sort of this discovery of what's the landscape. Now, how are we going to deliver against that landscape? And that's going to be, again, I think where it gets, starts getting really fun. Um, and then understanding that, I think another aspect to it all is also that whole ontology creation. What are the words? And then providing that guideline of this is what we sound like. These are the words we use to describe this, this attribute, this value, this problem. That's how we put it out. But we're going to move away from saying things like friendly and energetic. It's going to be more of using archetypes and other aspects of that to give you that character study that you really need. And that will be then also what helps guide. Because I think the biggest challenge will be, how do you scale it? And so it's going to require some sort of guidelines while then you're working on something, you're able to have someone else work on it as well. 
And what are the tools? Like maybe this is more of a basic question, but sure. I'm like, okay, I, I can do this. I can get the guide portion. I can partner with a SEO consultant, but then where, what tools am I using to actually build this out? So you would be definitely, so Google Analytics dashboard will be what helps you with some of it. Or if you use SEMrush or Moz helps you get at that, that piece of it. And then I think then that's also where you can start using these AI tools of crafting your persona of your main target audience and saying, this is what this person is, what's going to be their biggest challenges in X and then being able to craft so that you're able to put the right language or how would they describe? Um, one of the, there is a Dungeons and Dragons uh, tool, apparently. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I want to say it's like Storycraft or something along those lines that literally you can create. And it was used for creating basically the filler dialogue in Dungeons and Dragons games where you put in your character studies and then it tells you what they would say or how they would talk about whatever, and you you kind of put the topic. You can use that to basically create your focus group. And I know there are folks who say, but those aren't real people. But if I'm working on a small, scrappy budget, it's better than nothing. And so it's just enough of that guideline of where then that would be a tool I would use um, to be able to, to set that up. I'd also, um, after you start to create that, is you can also start to use as an editorial tool of double checking those things. Like I said, I, I, I've been, I have a habit of using readable to keep my reading level to the, the correct space, especially like when I'm working in financial services, I need to keep that at a certain level. And it's really easy to suddenly, suddenly find yourself at a high school level when you need to stay at like third, fourth grade. Um, so it's keeping you at that. Those are the tools that can also keep that you're staying appropriate and can kind of give you those guidelines. So that would be the tools I would use to guide me on that type of stuff. I have my Dungeons and Dragons handbook right here. Nice, nice. <laughs> um, so if I want to actually build this out and I'm feeling ambitious and I actually want to start, do I start with what would be the easiest path? Is it creating a chatbot or is it, should I go another route if I actually want to build it and see it come to life? If you want to build something, one of the things I would recommend is that first you, I'm a big proponent of starting small and iterating because humans never do exactly what we expect them to do. No matter how much studying or how much research I have, there's always some like, I didn't see that coming. Um, What I would do is I would pick a use case. I would start to then either work on it from a chatbot perspective because it's, that's probably the easiest of as far as the nuances. Seems like it, yeah. It is. but And then the other thing I would do is before you even put it live, do a role play. Have someone be this, be the, the brand or the system and then have someone else be the actual user and then read it back and forth and see how it sounds. As much as I wish I could say there's a way to automate it, your ear will call it out right away. It's just the, it's the reason I read most of my stuff out loud. It just forces you to hear that. Then you could put that into a chatbot. Um, and then see what people are looking for or what are they asking. I spend a lot of time looking at um, what are called no matches, which is I've gotten a request. I've gotten an input. I don't know what to match it to. And sometimes it's like, oh, no, you just go here. There's a new word. I'll think about that and I'll hard code it or I'll look back into where it was. Or it's um, a great example is with that aforementioned Sonic Branding Group. We talked about project briefs. And then the question came up, what's a project brief? 
And I realized at that moment that that was totally unconscious competence, having worked in agency and corporate life and marketing. <laughs> like, like, of course duh. I know that. Yeah. yeah. So then we had to say, oh, wait, hold on. We have to explain what a project brief is. Okay. That makes sense. Or how long does it take to create these things? We started to find out all these other questions that folks were asking, and then you start to build it out that way. And then they actually are frequently asked questions. Like someone asked that. It wasn't just you guessing. So that's that iteration and the refinement. So when you once you put it out there, it's you kind of have to have a little bit of care and feeding, um, kind of like starting a little fire where you put a little bit to it. Um, and so that's that's definitely a place to start and play with it. Um, and having that and just creating it that way. I would use a tool to create that. Um, there's a couple tools you can play with for chatbots. I wouldn't just acquiesce it to ChatGPT. I don't know if you heard during our presentation, someone had, you know, it's easy. It's great. Why not use that? You don't get to see your data then. Right. So I would play with something that would allow you to do that. I think WordPress allows it. Um, there's a platform we work with called Voiceify that lets you kind of put it into tele. Um, telephony. You can even do it for chatbot. You can do it for voice. You can do it for a lot of different types of ways. That's a, um, I will say it's a pretty robust creature if you're just experimenting, but there are other ones that are out there that you can kind of play with and learn to, to, to toy with that. And then from there you can start to say, well, do I need an assistant because of all these questions that are being asked? Hmm. Yeah. If I do, then you kind of start to move into that idea of creation. But right now you're just optimizing your content so that people can find it so that you're guiding them through. And then when you see what they want to do in those tasks, that helps you inform. Here's if I was going to create something completely like an, my own brand assistant, I know how to do that because I've got the background that's telling me this is what they want to do. This is what they want to ask. And then that assistant becomes that much more helpful because um, you're now adding your whole brand personality to it as well. I guess, what is the difference between the two? I think that's where I'm getting confused. The yeah. chatbot and then like actually moving to the next level, which is assist an assistant. So an assistant would be that centralized creature or that centralized entity or agent that would work across all of your channels. So anyone could interact with it if it was on um, basically through an app, if it was through a voice app, if it was through any of those other t particular channels. Um, that's when then it becomes starts to become a 360 degree system persona where then it, it's able to cover off with chatbots. It's kind of like one, one particular flavor and one aspect to it. And that's, by the way, that's not bad. That's perfectly okay. It's making sure that it's kind of like a, a toddler that's crawling, then walking, then running. So then you can determine how much help you need. Um, for example, Domino's realized they needed to build this whole assistant, right? And it's Dom and it's got a name. Starbucks is like, you can just do a shortcut on Siri. Have a nice day. We haven't created a star or any creature that's coming out there that is the Starbucks assistant. And why wouldn't and they do that, that at, at their level? Why wouldn't they do that quite yet? Part of it is because they haven't seen a need to um, with people engaging. It's more of something that happens at the barista level. So as they're thinking through that, they don't need an assistant in between there, it's the the store experience and they have that one-on-one. -on -one. So it isn't something they necessarily need to blow out quite yet. I mean, there's tons of use cases and they've actually been playing now with, what is it, um, the loyalty NFTs and things like that. So I think they've been kind of looking at it more of staying within driving the store as the center of it. Your barista experience is the center of it. I think there's concern that the assistant would fight with that. So it's more of making it easier for you to order it, but you don't necessarily need an upsell or any of those types of pieces. 
So um, it's very much a difference between what, what makes sense for that moment and that audience and the, the whole customer experience, as opposed to just figuring out ways of making it easier to get to your product or to build hype or things like that. So maybe I would start with a chatbot uh, that is answering questions about one problem for my mm -hmm. community. It could be like yep. pricing questions and that's, mm -hmm. that's what I focus on. And then when I feel like I have a handle on that, I might create a different chat bot. And then after I have a couple, maybe then I move to an assistant level where I'm like, this just needs to answer this character. Rob needs to answer people to handle any question right. that comes their way. Well, and what you can start with is you can start with a very small version, a light version of Rob of like, what does that sound like talking to? And then you wouldn't create separate chatbots. I would just create one that just can, can answer more. Okay. So an important aspect to the front end of that is saying, here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. Um, and, and just managing that expectation and then adding on as you go on, just adding on more capability and more content. The beauty of any of these conversational pieces is unlike a website where we have to have everything in a very set site map and it can only be seven items big, we can go on forever because the only time someone sees it or experiences it or engages it is when they ask for it. So that's like a double-edged sword of if I, if no one asks for it, it's never, it's like all that blood, sweat and tears, wait a minute. Um, but then you have to think about that too of like, is it because they don't know or is it because they don't care? And then answering those questions. So you can see how you can kind of, if you try to do that all at once, you'll take a really long time to get to something that may not move the needle as much. So it's definitely a pick, you know, the certain, the, mo the things that you get asked the most um, that you would be dealing with. Um, one, one coach I work with, he actually uses it for qualifications um, for lead qual because they get the same handful of questions, whether it's a great lead or it's a kick in the tires lead. And so what we've been able to do is then also determine based off of the question, the way that they're there, the answers, because it is a question and answer, you can gauge where they are. And it's like, well, then do I send you to get a newsletter and we'll just keep in touch until you're ready? Or do we set up a one-on-one -on -one where we talk a little bit more deeply and figure out if this is a more urgent fit? And so that's another way that you can use these types of conversational agents to be able to, and in, in, as far as demand gen's concerned. So it is kind of going through that without, but again, it's important that you let folks know, here's what it can do, here's what it can't do. And also let people know if it's an agent or not. Um, nothing is, I, I was working with a telecom company and it was, I was dealing with the agent to do something. And it's like, oh, I can help you. And then I got to a point that says, well, let me hand you over to a live agent. I'm like, but you never told me you weren't. That's not helpful. <laughs> like that's not going to yeah. work either. So how so that, should it have done it? How should it have introduced itself? I think it should just say, I am so-and-so, I'm your virtual agent. Like you don't have to be fancy. You don't have to be coy. Um, and someone is going to, you know, someone at that moment would say, you know, representative, but that person's always going to say representative. Um, so I think it's a matter of helping someone along in that way of saying, hey, I, I, I respect you enough to tell you what I am. It's just like catfishing if you think about it. Like, I'm going to tell you who I am or what I am. So that way, then I'm not having to rebuild trust the next time I send you over to another agent. Um, so again, it's that whole trust factor that comes into play. And there's lots of nuances to that. Uh, but thinking of it from a perspective of trust, empathy, how would you feel 
if somebody traded you off like that or, or those types of things. Yeah. And so if I can back up, it seems like the process in my mind, please correct me, is starting with the research, which as copywriters, we mm-hmm. know how to do that, creating the avatars, building out the personalities, and then maybe doing surveys to extract the questions on whatever topic it is you're starting with, like collect hundreds of questions, then match them with answers and make sure each question would have an answer so that you can role play it and see where there Mm -hmm. are gaps. And then once you have that document, then you'd be ready for some type of chatbot tool like Voiceify. I mean, what you said is more robust than what we would need, but that's when you're ready to move to that next step. Absolutely. And if you go on, there are enough chatbot programs and platforms that you can work with that you can easily work within ways of doing that, um, that probably have a, either, I don't know if they have trial, but they're probably not, they're low, they're low cost and they are low code. Um, there is a, a product called VoiceFlow that allows you to even do that mapping much oh. more easily. Yeah. Um, VoiceFlow is um, one that's been out there for quite some time from the early days. So they've kind of got, they've been through all the bumps and <laughs> The bumps and bruises of, um, of of the shifting of that. And I would also recommend um, there's a book called Conversations with Things that um, is written by Rebecca Ivanhoe and Diana Diebel. And it's um, Ivanhoe, sorry, Ivanhoe, E-V-E uh, instead of I-V-E. And they wrote that book as, um, as conversation designers to help um, folks understand here's that here's that process of creation, here's those considerations, and it gets very deep into a lot of the nuts and bolts that I certainly don't want to talk about here today, but are good guides and watchouts and ways of of strategically approaching how am I going to write this, how am I going to break this down, um, and thinking through. There's another book also by Michael Metz and Andrew Welfy called Writing Is Designing, which is amazing just for general copywriting. And then okay. it's even more fun because the works through there also helps you work through your voice and tone um, and think about crafting experiences, not just ones that you speak to, but just in general. And how do you embody that in a, a useful, but also um, branded way of, of keeping that user centric without losing your brand? Yeah. Also, that's a great, great title. My final question for you is like, can you bring this back to the person who might be listening to this and maybe parts mm-hmm. of it are are going over their head as like some of it goes over my head and I have to catch it yeah. and catch up. Uh, but like, why is it important for them, even if they're a small business owner or a freelancer to pay attention to this, even though they're not working with Starbucks? Yeah, no, absolutely. And actually um, sometimes we'll get, I like working with the smaller business or the second tier um, only because you can actually make changes. Like if I do anything with Coke, it gets swallowed up into the cokeness and you don't even <laughs> see what you've done or the difference you're making. Um, I would say the reason why it's important is because, um, what is it? Over 98% of people are aware of voice and conversational AI. Um, 97% of them are using their assistance at some point or another. Um, and then when we look down at the numbers of the people who use voice assistance, 92% of them are doing some sort of search where they're asking questions. And so it's a matter of being where you are as I mentioned, this isn't something that has sponsored content quite yet. So it's an opportunity to kind of like know about us. Like if we knew about SEO before SEO became a thing, this is an opportunity for us to think about our content and our craft that way. I think now is also the time because the tolerances and expectations of your audiences is that they are using it. 
But the reality of it is, is that we have to be able to have as good of an experience. Like we've, we've, we've honed our craft on websites. We've honed our craft um, in blog content, on digital, in store. This is the time where we can start paying attention. And because the good experiences are going to stand out and they're going to make it so that you're able to not just be, it's, um, it's not a matter of just also like, hey, how do I do this faster? But you'll start to also be able to, to tease out what's possible or what's wanted so that you can move folks through and be able to actually be able to do more with less and basically be able to get the reach you need or the growth you need without uh, feeling too hacky, <laughs> quite honestly, but in a genuine, a, a genuine evolution. And if we're talking about this as a new job opportunity for creatives, for writers, what would you call mm -hmm. that job? If I'm looking for that job or creating it, what would that title be? I mean, right now um, I'm hearing the terms I'm hearing is experienced designer. I'm also hearing conversational designer or conversation designer, depending on um, where you're working with that. But we also, I think you still see content design coming up a little bit as well um, of, of where that comes in. UX writing also is pretty adjacent to that as well of, of moving into those things. Um, one of the more interesting job titles I've seen is conversational content strategist, um, which is kind of covering up the how do I say it, but what do I say too? And, and, and balancing that. So those are some of the titles that I have definitely been seeing and have been coming from large and small businesses. Okay. I want those titles. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's my next goal. Okay. So um, before we wrap, where can we learn more about the work you're doing, especially if we want to geek mm -hmm. out over it and just understand it, or maybe even create some type of service around it? Sure, sure. No, absolutely. So um, I'm, I'm active on Twitter. It's at SJW75. Um, because back when Twitter was new, I um, or X, I, I was like, should have been more clever, but I stayed pretty <laughs> famous potatoes there. Um, and then I'm also uh, somewhat active on LinkedIn. We have a website, pragmatic.digital is uh, our, our website. And then um, I'm going to do a shameless book plug. Um, we just released uh, Voice Marketing, which is uh, all about the harnessing that power of conversational AI. It is a great companion to Conversation with Things um, because this focus is more on what are the problems we're solving? How do we go down these paths of strategically looking at it? So that way then um, it's a more complete type of, of basically solution. I can't wait to read it. Um, I'm so excited about that. So thank you so much for um, coming in here with me and talking through this and being patient with my questions. It's like, oh, I feel sure. like it's all clicking for the first time. The first presentation got me excited about it. And now today I feel like I can see how I could use this in my business um, or sell it as a service or product. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to be able to be an AI trainer to work, to take advantage of this technology. That's probably the coolest thing that ChatGPT proved to everyone. We'd been saying it, but it was like, no, I feel like I need rocket scientists. It's, you don't, if you know your your audience and you're doing this writing, there are ways that you can be able to make um, a, a decent impact with a, with a small amount of, of, of thought and effort. Well, that's incredible. Thank you so much, Susan. I sure. appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right. We want to thank Susan Westwater for joining us on the podcast to talk about conversational AI. If you like what you've heard from today's show, you can connect with Susan on Twitter. Her link is in the show notes below.
And once again, if you want to jump into our AI for copywriters course, you can go to copywriterclub.com forward slash AI for C. That is the end of this episode of AI for Creative Entrepreneurs, a Copywriter Club podcast produced by Brandon Burton. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review of the show on your podcast app. Or if you're catching this on YouTube, you can like the video, subscribe to the channel, or even leave a comment below. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.